the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, the only place to go for breaking news, real time commentary, and of course, powerful stories is The Athletic. Download the app, personalize it with your favorite teams and leagues, and get real time, exclusive, ad free content. Start at theathletic.com slash spot track. Get yourself 40% off that first year for tons of sports reading. We're in a, a sports just monopoly right now. Everything is happening that matters to every sport. The NBA is getting towards the postseason. The NHL just had their trade deadline. They're heading towards the postseason. Baseball and football are in massive offseason mode. In fact, another big trade is kind of being projected as I talk about this. And uh, it's all happening at one time. So the Athletic has you covered across the board, similar to how Track financially has you covered across the board. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track. And speaking of the athletic, Yankees beat for the athletic. Lindsey Adler comes back to the show this year with uh, some optimism about the New York Yankees. I'm going to bring some, uh, some question marks and she's going to say not so fast. May not be exactly what you're thinking out loud, but I think behind the scenes, the right moves are being made. So Lindsey on the back end of this show to talk Yankees. And uh, I'll start us off here with a, an in-depth quarterback conversation, not just the he said, she said, but Moves that were made, trades, new contracts, new signings, breaking down the guaranteed money, and then my thoughts about where teams either fell, kind of some pros and cons with Trubisky versus Winston versus Carson Wentz versus obviously your Rodgers and, and your Watson situations, but just sort of how, how the leaves have fallen off the tree here and uh, maybe who struck best for the uh, upcoming 2022 season, financially speaking. All right, we spent plenty of time talking about him, but it's a, it's a worthy conversation this time of year. The quarterback situation in the NFL, it is not what it used to be. And that's, I think, for a positive. Many people may be kind of hemming and hawing at the, at the carousel we've had the past three seasons, but it's ramped up this year. And, and I want to focus specifically on the players who have, have changed teams or changed contracts. I mean, really, in the past 10 days, that's, that's where we are right now. And I'll certainly start at the top, but I want to focus more on the bottom of this list. So, so what I have in front of me is a list of the, the practical, full, however you want to call it, guarantees on their current slash new contract. So obviously the top of this list is Deshaun Watson. I don't really need to go there. It's, a, it's an anomaly situation until it's not. And the $230 million is his. And I don't really see a way out of that, you know, barring a trade for Cleveland. So that sits at the top for its own re- unique reasoning. Aaron Rodgers is next with obviously the 150 plus practically guaranteed. It's 101 at signing. But if they get past year one, it, they're going to year three with this thing. And they better go to year four for the dead cap stuff, as I mentioned before. Stafford's at 130. I want to focus on Stafford quickly here because I did do a video breakdown on this. So if you've seen that, you're gonna, this is going to be a bit of a repeat, but I want to make sure this gets out there. The, the way the Rams do their business is is so is so damning, honestly, and it's it's the reason that they have to operate with lots of dead cap and lots of active cap at the same time, and it's fine, but it's such a vote of confidence for these players. Now Stafford's brand new; he's one year in. He wins the Super Bowl. I understand there's a need to reward that player, and I understand that maybe one of the concessions for Stafford not going fifty million a year on this, which I think for all intents, he could have, is we're going to stabilize this contract from a structure standpoint so that the $40 million you're, you're 
the the $10 million break you're giving us, let's put it that way, <laughs> is a little bit more in your favor. And, the, and the, the way they do that, and they've done that with most of their major contracts, is double bonus, low base salary. We're going to give it all to, all to you at one time, and we're going to suck up the dead cap. And the reason that roster bonus base salary versus double signing bonus is such a major difference is the second that signing bonus is paid out, that dead cap is staying with the Rams 100%, no way out of it, no chance to restructure, no chance to offload that. It's theirs. That's why Brandon Cooks and Clay Matthews and Todd Gurley and Jared Goff had such negative dead cap impacts to this team really still right now in many of those cases. So it's a vote of confidence. It is a player structured contract, but Stafford gets 60 million this year. He gets another, you know, 26 million next year, all in bonus money with basically minimum salaries to boot with uh, thereafter. So I get it. It's twofold. A, it's strong for the player and B, it, it, it maximizes the amount of cap space you can you can you know push out bonuses can go five years roster bonuses are one year you know they don't have the room or the flexibility to take on major cap in, in year one here so i get it from that standpoint but just you know buyer beware on this that if the wheels fall off and i'm not suspecting they will this year but if the wheels fall off in 2024 or if this roster has to blow up after 2022 to some degree there's a hell of a lot of dead cap sitting here a lot and uh, in the grand scheme of things, that's just how the Rams have done business. But I wanted to make sure that's out there in the mainstream a little bit that, yes, from an overall value and an average value, it's a bit of a discount for Stafford, knowing that what he just did. But could get ugly in three years, even two years, if the, if the wheels start to fall off here. Matt Ryan, complete opposite situation, right? So obviously we have to focus on this a little bit. Because after, when we contrast and compare the Ryan situation to the Carson Wentz situation, to the Jameis situation, to the Trubisky situation, I mean, the Colts have already won. They've already won. The Colts have offloaded a player that they publicly said they no longer wanted. Got back what, what is now netted, right? So Carson Wentz out, Matt Ryan in. They have netted Matt Ryan moving up in the second round, moving up in the third round, and for now, an extra 2023 20, third that is for all likelihood going to be an extra 2023 20, second from a conditionalized standpoint when Carson Wentz plays enough games this year for Washington. So that's what they've netted, which is miraculous. And oh, by the way, five to six million of cap space because Carson Wentz was 28 going out. Matt Ryan is 23 to 24 coming in. Now, it appears, based on the records that I'm seeing, that Matt Ryan was getting, given a bit of a bump. He was 23 and change coming into this trade. He's now over 24 in the system. And his 2023 salary has increased as well. And oh, by the way, they basically guaranteed all of that. So he is basically a two for 54 fully guaranteed now in Indy. So no more of this. He's here for one year. That's it. This is going to be a two-year process, in my opinion, for Matt Ryan. And rightfully so. That roster is, is pretty deep and ready around him. So I, I like that part of this. In fact, I love it. It's one of the, my favorite moves of this offseason so far. And everybody saw it coming for the past, I don't know, two, two and a half weeks. And it still happened. And they still benefited from it. They still netted a profit from it, is the point. So 
it's an incredible offseason situation for Indianapolis who kind of played their cards out there, right? They played poker with the cards facing up and still won the hand. It's, it's pretty incredible. Kirk Cousins, you know, when you're just good enough and, you're, and your contract is short enough, when the contract has the decision and the, and, the, and the team doesn't have a backup plan, just means more guaranteed money. And he got himself $35 million more, as, many, as everybody knows here. Two for 70, fully guaranteed over the next two seasons. I think it was pretty close that he was out the door at some point. I think it was pretty close that Cleveland was in. I have a feeling Pittsburgh dabbled, Carolina dabbled, maybe a couple other teams at some point. But he'll be there. Fully guaranteed two years, you know, 70 million. Could be, could be possible that he's moved after this season with that one for 35 guaranteed left. That seems feasible if, if things go wrong in Minnesota. And, you know, there's a chance that they could be now that Aaron Rodgers is back. Speaking of Carson Wentz, uh, you know, Indy getting him was a head scratcher, especially for the price they paid. An eventual first this year. Washington giving up two thirds and a third and a second is what I believe it will be. It's just asinine. And what's more asinine is taking on 28 million. Carson Wentz is 22 million fully guaranteed right now. And that's his base salary. He's got another 5 million in roster bonus. Paid. Washington took it all. All of it. If you think about the players that moved, okay, this just this year alone, as a tradable contract before the before any of the adjustments, okay, Russell Wilson was twenty four million non guaranteed. That's where he stands currently. Matt Ryan was twenty three point seven five million. Non-guaranteed. There was a $7.5 million roster bonus. So I guess we can include that part of it. And Russ had, had a $5 million roster bonus. So if you want to nitpick a little bit. So 23 and change for Ryan. 24 for Wilson. Mitchell Trubisky cost one year's $6.2 million. <clears throat> Teddy Bridgewater was one for 6.5 guaranteed. Marcus Mariota, one for 6.75 guaranteed. Jameis, we haven't seen the full details, but it sounds like $15.2 million this year. A $14 million bonus and a minimum salary fully guaranteed this year. So he's essentially double, almost triple, some of these other names I've mentioned here. Are you seeing a trend? <laughs> because none of these players in 2022 have a salary higher than Carson Wentz, who's at 28. 28. He's $5 million more than Matt Ryan. He's $4 million more than Russell Wilson. And Washington took it all and gave up picks to do it. And that's insane. And you can say Carson Wentz has a higher ceiling than Winston or Mariota or Bridgewater, who's a backup, by the way. And that's fine. But if you're just looking for a stopgap situation and you're a fringe divisional contender, fringe, I mean, you know, Philly and Dallas are have to be considered ahead of them still, even though there's a, heck, there's a heck of a defense and a couple of good weapons on this roster. It, I think it's the biggest, the biggest miss already in this offseason. I don't grade things. I don't do that kind of crap. But I look at the money, and this is how I'm breaking this down for you here. 
Carson Wentz is, is the most expensive quarterback to move this offseason, not named Deshaun Watson. Because, again, that's just an anomaly. He was the most expensive salary. And Washington gave up two picks, a, an eventual second and a third-round pick to bring him in. Matt Ryan, on a cheaper contract, non-guaranteed, cost the third. Now he's older, but the reason you'd give up more is you think this is your long-term option. You're, you're, you're fine sacrificing more draft capital because, hey, this player is going to be a long-term option. I just told you, they, they guaranteed Matt Ryan for two years. He's going to be there two years. There's not a chance in bloody hell that Carson Wentz is there in 2023. This is always this was going to be a one and done wherever he ended up. And you could say, well, what were they supposed to do? Well, number one would be throw a seventh round pick at the max because you maybe there were a couple of teams trying to get this guy. I don't believe it, but apparently there were. So, so to me, it's we'll take him for a seventh. Otherwise, there are other options. And the other options were Teddy Bridgewater, Mitch Trubisky. Hell, Colt McCoy got $6 million guaranteed over, over two years. And we'll talk about that in a second. And, and this is the name I haven't mentioned yet. And I don't think enough people saw this because this was kind of thrown in around all the Rodgers and the, everything. Tyrod Taylor got $8.1 million guaranteed from the New York Giants. All of this year and a half of next year. And you can say, great, that's good backup money for two years. That's right. But Daniel Jones isn't a lock. Daniel Jones isn't even a lock for week one, in my opinion, because of injury, because of inconsistency. I like the player. I don't think he's a long-term fit there. And I'll tell you right now, the Dable-Joe Shane situation that just left Buffalo for New York, they're not going to screw around with this because they know firsthand how if you don't have the guy, you don't screw around with the wrong guy. <laughs> they're going to jump ship on this immediately if they have to. And they have familiarity with Tyler Taylor. They will bring in Taylor on 8 million guaranteed and say, hey, you got to give us 17 weeks here. Look out for that because this contract does not say, you know, you're here just to push this guy along. And if we need you because of injury, you'll step in for some snaps. That contract says if Daniel Jones completely pushes this out and we don't think he's the guy, we're not going to play him. We're not going to play him. So uh, that's one to watch for sure. Tyra Taylor got 8 million guaranteed. You could have probably had him for four in a situation where you know he was going to start. Every quarterback on this list who changed teams, not named Deshaun Watson, again, unique, went for markedly less or, or, or already cost markedly less in Matt Ryan's case. Then Carson Wentz. And Carson Wentz went for the most draft capital, the most expensive draft capital of this whole offseason in terms of the quarterbacks not named Deshaun Watson. That's just, that's insane. It's insane for a team that is just looking to push it into 2023 for draft purposes. It's insane. And they have a decent draft pick. I mean, they could have got, they could have taken a chance, a flyer on one of these rookies and said, this is, this is the right move for us. Now, look, I hope I'm meeting my words. I hope Carson Wentz actually works out in this Ron Rivera system. And he is the, I don't know, game manager that they need with this roster, which is too bad because there's a couple of nice tight ends. There's obviously McLaurin is a, is a 90 to 100 catch guy in some iteration of an offense, but not in Carson Wentz's offense. So it's too bad. But that, that's how I'm reading this right now. I, the, the Jameis stuff is kind of crazy. It sounded like 21 million guaranteed. It sounds like that's, the, that's what second year built in. One for 15 on a player who was kind of the last guy in line here, not named Baker Mayfield, is high. That, that's big money. 
I don't know why this guy needed a $14 million signing bonus, which is what has been reported by Ian Rappaport. But the Saints just give away, I feel like they just hand away money. For as much cap problems as they have, some of this stuff is self-induced. I mean, the Taysom Hill stuff, we, we can beat it to a dead horse. It's, it's nuts. And you can say, and, and I've said this before, if I'm Jameis Winston's agent and New Orleans wants me back, and over, by the way, Indy's probably calling for me, and you know, I was maybe a, an opportunity for Pittsburgh at one point. I'm sure Carolina has asked about Jameis at some point. So there was probably a bit of a bidding war, which certainly raises the price. But if the Saints are asking about Jameis and I'm his agent, I'm looking at this roster and I'm saying, that guy right there is your third quarterback. And he's guaranteed $20 million over the next two seasons. So if your backup quarterback is that, then I'm this. This is where I'm starting. And that's why I think we're seeing $21 million over two years here for Jameis Winston. Now, it's probably one for 15, but that's bonkers high too. Because Trubisky went for six. Bridgewater went for six. Mariota went for almost seven. Colt McCoy went for six. These are backups with starting prowess. So, I mean, they paid him like he's going to start 17 weeks, which that injury is questionable. But a front-loaded deal like that for a player, yes, who's going to start for you. It's just unnecessary. So that one, that one rubs me the wrong way as well. And to me, that's self-induced. That's the same getting themselves in situations where they are forced to negotiate in a certain way. And it's not a, a, it with power. It's not with leverage and power. So I, I do think Jameis is a good fit for this roster. I think he showed that last year before he was injured. So, you know, Michael Thomas, Deontay Harris, Elvin Kamara, there's, there's weapons there. There's wins there. There's some success there for sure. But I don't know that you had to go this high unless you got forced into it and pushed into it by your own doing. So that's how I read that situation. Bridgewater is interesting. Um, I imagine Teddy, Teddy had some offers here. And Miami's spending like crazy. Miami's spending like a team that wants to be a quarterback away. And, I, and they're either going to find out with Tua that he's the guy early, or I expect them to rip that bandaid off and go to Teddy. And having said that, I think Teddy took too little. I think, I think he should have front-loaded this thing with a, a Jameis-type situation. And I think if Jameis had signed that deal first, that would have been the market for Teddy Bridgewater in Miami, knowing that there's a real good chance by week four, I'm the, I'm the guy. And, you know, hopefully he's got some serious, you know, playing time production, touchdown, passing yard incentives built into this thing to take it from six and a half north of 10. Because I think that's a very real possibility. And I don't think Miami's screwing around anymore. I mean, they signed a legitimate left tackle, some serious defensive backs. They still have to extend Xavier Howard. Um, good weapons, good sneaky good weapons for, for that Mike McDaniel offense. And again, Bridgewater knows what he's doing. And he's been in two or three different style of offenses now, one of them being that New Orleans spread offense. You know, if it looks and smells like that, and Bridgewater is getting it mentally more than Tua is, look, he's going to be playing ball there. So I think he undervalued himself, especially now knowing what the rest of this list looks like. And the fact that Mariota, who's going to start, so you understand him making a little bit more, has a, a one-year deal with basically an option in year two, I think that's exactly why Mariota's contract looks like that. He doesn't deserve a lot of one-year, you know, early money because he just hasn't been that guy for the, for three years, really. But giving himself that second year where the balloon payment exists, if things go well in Atlanta, and they could, there's some weapons there. 
and a halfway def- decent left side of the offensive line. Now the defense is going to be uh, awful, but I like the idea that he's given himself at least a look in 2023 and, and, and a chance to stick around for two years. But I believe what Tyrod Taylor and his agent did is exactly right. All right. He, he basically said, I, we know where this is headed. We have a familiarity with this coach, with this GM. We know where this is headed. And similar to Tua, you know, this could be, this whole situation could be chopped off at the head by week four. And if I get thrown into that fire, I don't want to just be playing on incentives. You know, I, I, if I'm going to come back and do this, because I've got offers at Pittsburgh, I've, I've got offers in Washington. No question he did. No question. He's one of the most competent starting quarterback uh, offers out there this year. He baked it into the cake with $8 million fully guaranteed at signing. So he knows that there's a very good chance week four, week six, he's the guy. And he got it up front. So that's a guy who's been stepping into front offices, stepping into teams that he has a real good chance, air quotes, to be the starter and knows that you have to be compensated for that properly. Otherwise, you're going to be a ridiculous value to a franchise for, for 15 to 16 weeks. So I think Bridgewater undervalued. I think Jameis was overvalued here. And certainly, Carson Wentz is the overvalued king for the second offseason in a row here. And it just doesn't make any sense from the team standpoint. So that's the situation with quarterbacks, at least for now. Baker Mayfield still to come. Anybody else we think can move here? It's a... It's a slippery slope right now because we're getting late, even though it's still March, mid-March. We're just a week move removed from the actual league year start. But the quarterbacks have gone fast and quickly here. I think Baker, I'll give a little bit of a read in my Baker situation. So, you know, Schefter and those guys have been pretty on top of this, that not only is there not a big draft pick coming back for Baker, it doesn't sound like anybody's taking that $18 million salary. It's going to have to be Cleveland eats some of that and we go from there which that, that shocks me. And the reason it shocks me is it's unfair to put him up against Sam Darnold because Darnold was traded last year when he still had his, four, his fourth year salary. He was just a nine, you know, basically a $4.7 million player last year. And Carolina took the onus to exercise that fifth year option. That was not the Jets. Carolina did all this to themselves. That's self-induced. But at the same time, that was a second and a fourth. And a sixth, a two four six to get Darnold in on that contract for what could have just been one year four point seven million if they didn't exercise this option. So it surprises me a little bit. And, and by the way, the Carson Wentz conversation as well it surprised me a little bit that nobody will take the eighteen million dollar chance on Baker. I, I think the problem is this: I don't think there's a legitimate starting option for Baker Mayfield. We've talked Seattle; that's not a good fit to me from a player coach standpoint. And, and oh, by the way, I'm not sure Seattle's trying to win games right now. And I realize that's not a, a favorable take. But why would you bang your heads around with that division if you're half in the bag? Which they are. The left tackle situation's a mess. The edge rush situation is a mess. The weapons are solid. I mean, I, I like three of their running backs. I like two of their wide receivers minimum. The Noah Fant get is, I think, a really big step forward for that Pete Carroll offense if he sticks around. So I understand that there may be too much there to tank. But I think you can just play ball with that roster and Drew Locke and lose a bunch of games. And it'll be really worthwhile to you in 2023. I've said this before. I'll say it again. So to me, Baker's off limits to that situation because if you invest the $19 million in Baker this year, or let's say it's 12 whatever it's going to be, I think that's, 
that's putting yourself in a situation now where your expectations are to win ball games, and I don't think you can, <laughs> even with Baker. I don't think you can because just the division and it's just too crazy out there. So I think they stay away from it for two reasons. A, it's not a good fit. B, it would put them in an uncomfortable situation where expectations didn't meet the actual roster that they have right now. So here's what I think with Baker Mayfield, because Cleveland's already accounting for it. It's fully guaranteed 18-8. You know, there's no post-June or anything like that. It is what it is the entire offseason. I think the best move is just to keep him. And he's going he's gonna to hoot and holler. I mean, <laughs> he, that agent and, and he are going to take to Twitter. You know, there may be a, an Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, you know, YouTube video that gets put out there saying, look, I can still do this. Uh, I can still play ball. These are the reasons why Cleveland was holding me back. I, we might get to that point. But I think they have to hold here because mini camp, training camp, somebody's going to get injured. Something's going to happen here. And oh, by the way, the something that might happen may be Deshaun Watson, you're sitting all of 2022. And if that's the case, now they've got Jacoby Brissett, but can they mend fences for one year and then say, look, we, we'll, play, we'll pay you out. You play ball for us one more year. And here's the, here's the concession we'll give you. We'll let you walk. We guarantee you we won't franchise tag you. We'll put it in writing. We will not tag you in 2023, no matter what. Obviously, they're not going to with Watson's contract, but just a vote of confidence that you're gonna, we're going to let you walk. And oh, by the way, if, if, if the wheels are falling off here and this isn't working out for us, we'll try to trade you at the deadline and get you into a situation where you can, you can jump to another roster then. To me, that's unlikely that Watson misses the whole season and they are able to mend fences. It sounds like it's really bad, but let's put that out there. And then obviously, the other side of this is, Somebody gets hurt in training camp and mini camp and in the offseason, God bid, you know, a non-contact injury, a non-football injury, and there's an immediate need for a quarterback. And now Baker is that guy. Because in July, Baker Mayfield looks a hell of a lot better than he does right now. No question about it. You know, urgency and deadlines spur actions. So I think that might be the best move here. Is if you don't like what you're what you're getting offered, if you're being forced to pay some of this down right now, then don't do it. Don't do it. Hold. See what happens. He's the clear best option on the market. Clear. And I don't see any other situation. You know, you know I think the Kyler Murray stuff's going to work itself out. I think that's fairly stable. Seems like Kirk Cousins is fairly stable now with that extension. I don't think there's a, there's a guy out there right now. I, I should say Garoppolo, but ah, the, the shoulder surgery is going to keep him basically out until right up to week one, if not after, because of some recovery time. So I wouldn't put him ahead of Baker Mayfield in this conversation by any means at all. And over the way, he's more expensive to acquire. If anything, Jimmy might get released. So I think he's the clear-cut option. He's the clear-cut backup plan for any kind of freak injury or, or incident out there or off-the-field incident that comes up that Cleveland has the holding chip. So that would be my option. Now it's, you know, the closer you get to week one and the fact that you might have to pay for him, that's a fine line. But I think for now, I'd say we want to wait this out a little bit and make sure that it's the best situation for our organization. Might not be tenable because he might really, you know, put up a fit, try to get himself onto a new roster. But if I'm sitting there with Baker Mayfield as his agent or as one of his pe the people in his camp, does he love any of these other options right now? Would he rather be in Carolina? I'm not sure.
All right, thrilled to have her back. We did this last year, a little bit darker times for the Yankees, even though things kind of worked out at the end. Lindsay Adler from The Athletic, the Yankees beat, who has uh, spent a few days with the Yankees in spring training, is heading back there to kind of finalize the roster in the next couple of days. Lindsay, welcome back to the show. What's your uh, assessment of this team so far? Let's not even talk roster building, just, just a sense of being back around the Yankees for a couple of days here. Um, it's been, it's been really interesting. I would say things are, you know, I, I think maybe, um, it's getting, you know, there are a few things that feel very different to me. You know, there's a different coaching staff. There's some, there are some different players in the clubhouse. Um, it, it, it does feel a bit different from last year. I think when you cover a team day to day and year to year, um, it can sometimes, for me, it can sometimes be hard to, uh, back from the continuity because you know I've I've seen Aaron Judge in the clubhouse every year. I've seen Jordan Montgomery in the clubhouse every year. But there are the the vibe around spring training has definitely been that things are a little bit different. They have some different routines and programs and players. So it's um hmm. it, it it's kind of interesting. Well that's probably a good start to hear. I think getting in a rut is a bad way to start the year. <laughs> is there is it awkward? I mean, the judge contracts, this this big trade that just dropped, there's some injuries piling up, which is the story of the Yankees the past couple of years. But <laughs> is there any sense of maybe uh, unease right now? You know, I, I think what's really weird, what has been really weird has been the condensed timeline of it, um, where it's it's awkward not necessarily in ways that it wouldn't be in previous years, but it's awkward because spring training started at the same time that free agency and the trade market opened back up. And then they, so, you know, they, they had the front office had to focus on free agency and the trade market. Then they had to focus on arbitration. Now they have to focus on Aaron judge, but in the meantime, everyone is kind of scrambling to get ready for games. So, you know, a lot of those boxes that usually get checked before everyone gets to spring training. So then everyone can kind of just like focus on, you know, working on their like crappy spring training change up or whatever. Um, there's just more <laughs> overlap between the business side of the game and the, and the preparation part of it. So I, you know, to me, I don't necessarily see it as any more, any more or less awkward. I think it's just like a, a result of the circumstances of, of what the MLB lockout kind of did to things. Okay, great. Let's uh, let's play choose your own adventure here. I'm going to give you three paths you can go down. You can pick the one you want to start with. The Aaron Judge contract, uh-huh. the recent uh, tr- trade, mm-hmm. or the lack of free agent signings. Um, let's work backwards chronologically. So let's start with Aaron Judge. Okay. Um, he just filed for arbitration. It's about a $5 million gap, $4 million gap, 21 to 17. Um, do you expect them to avoid that with some sort of middle ground or do you think he's going to go right to the court system here? Um, you know, I mean, they, so Aaron judge said earlier this spring that for him, his deadline is April 6th. Yeah. I think, you know, because of the lockout pushing arbitration hearings into the season, I think that deadline may necessarily be a little bit different. I'm not sure, but really the thing is like, we still have two weeks until Aaron judges deadline. And you know, if, if if the Minnesota Twins can figure out a contract with Carlos Correa in the span of about 24 hours or less, um, you know, two weeks to focus on an Aaron Judge extension definitely gives them some runway on things. I think, I, I think what I think what is getting overlooked is sort of what I said that that overlap between the off season and right. spring training. So normally in a year, 
Yankees front office would have, you know, spent kind of December and January or whatever focusing on free agent and free agents and trade targets. And then, you know, then they would have some time to focus on arbitration. But those things come with natural deadlines. And, um, you know, in, in terms of free agency, they're competing against 29 other clubs, et cetera. So I, I think the thing to keep in mind is that the two sides seem to have a shared goal here. Um, we just saw what happened with Freddie Freeman and the Braves, and I think that gives everyone um, a little bit cause for fear of of screwing this up. And I, I think maybe just in terms of quite literally time and energy and priorities, um, maybe the Yankees have not really had the capacity to focus on the Aaron Judge extension until now. So I think... I think there's, you know, a real chance that something gets done because they see things the same way. It, it it benefits Judge. It benefits the Yankees. You know, do they do they really want to sit on this throughout the season and then deal with the free agency situation? I highly doubt that. Um, you know, what what an extension would look like, I think, may be the point of conflict. You know, like how long do the Yankees want? Aaron Judge in his 30s versus Aaron Judge wants to spend his entire career with the Yankees. But um, in terms of in terms of the aspiration to work towards something, um, that's there, and they have a little bit of time. I know that I know it, it is a con- condensed timeline here, and, and that's mm-hmm. that's going to stop some of these uh, maybe trades and extensions from happening. Yeah. But this one. This one's been a long time coming. I mean, we talked about this mm-hmm. literally 12 months ago, you know, and, mm-hmm. and where this was going. And, and the conversation then was his lack of ability to stay healthy. You know, mm-hmm. he was a 100, 100 game player. That's not what the case last year. He had, mm-hmm. you know, almost 150 games played. Obviously, the power and production was there. The batting average is back where we thought it should be for him. It, it was a really strong year for him to be having a contract discussion off of it. Let's put it that way. Um, mm-hmm. But those things haven't gone away. That, that's, it, let, let me ask you this. Is it, is it purely the condensed timeline you believe? Mm-hmm. Is it they just don't want to go long term with this guy? Super long term, you like you know, old school baseball contract, or do you think there's just a price? There's a there's a ceiling that we've seen with the Yankees now with many of these contracts that Aaron Judge wants to go north of it, similar to what Freddie Freeman wanted to do, and and the Yankees simply won't go there. Do you think that it's a financial discrepancy? It's a an injury red flag discrepancy, or that they simply just haven't gotten around to it. <laughs> You know, I'm I'm not sure. I'm I'm not sure what I said this time last year, but I'm guessing it was something like this is going to be a big year for Aaron Judge yeah. to sort of determine uh, his his future with the organization, and then um, he delivered <laughs> on the pressure of a big year. And I think, you know, I, I think going into 2021, it would be pretty kind of pr- pretty difficult for an organization to evaluate what you're going to get out of Aaron Judge, and you know he he did and then he did put up a great season and now he is about to turn 30 um so you know it's it's it it's not necessarily just about past performance and past injury risk but also about projecting future outcomes but then on the other hand you know i feel that i have personally seen aaron judge make adjustments to his conditioning and his game to really try to minimize some of that injury risk that everyone is really afraid of. So I'm not, I'm not sure. I I don't know what the Yankees envision with this um, type of 
deal. And I, and I think judge is kind of a, a difficult case here, but also like, look, he's, he's a smart dude. Um, he, he knows he's not hitting free agency at age, you know, 26 and a half right. or whatever. Um, there, there are some concessions that, you know, come with his situation, but also the, the Yankees like to try to work out fair deals, whether that's in free agency, trade extensions, whatever it is. So, um, I, I, I guess similar to you, I am very curious to see what the Yankees consider a fair deal here for Aaron judge um, and, and whether or not he agrees with their assessment. Yeah. Look, the, the valuation system that we kind of utilize here, our calculation system still has them at about 200 million and you can make that mm-hmm. six years, seven years, whatever you need it to be. But that's kind of the going, going rate for him. I think that's probably right. But, um, I guess we'll get into this conversation now. You know, Brian Cashman has completely changed his, you know, he's a, he's a different human being in terms of how he operates things in that, in that organization over the past decade. And it is about value. It is about, and maybe not so much being thrifty with things, but smarter, having, a, having logic, not just going for the big, the, the, the big gamut. You know, this recent trade, Lindsay, with the Josh Donaldson taking on 50 million of his contract, bringing in a couple of other positional pieces in Connor Falefa and, and Penn Werford, who's now injured as well. But um, I mean, this is about what? Expanding depth. It's about plugging some holes. Is it a realization that some of the current Yankees just aren't getting it done? DJ LeMay, he was now in a very expensive bench player on this roster. Mm-hmm. Glaber Torres had, you know, uh, air after air last year. He's no longer a viable shortstop option. Miguel Andujar is now a bench option. These are trade pieces at best right now. It, there's a bit of disarray, right? And, and this this trade had to be plugging some holes versus taking on some money, but not going after the big fish. And I know you wrote about the Korea side of this. Where is your head with all of that? Are they kind of rushing to the finish line here just to, just to fill out their roster and some of these starting positions? Or do you think that there's, you know, a, there's a more evolved thought process here, Lindsay? I, I think this is one of those situations where you have to accept that many things can be true at once. Sure. I, I think that is what is getting lost. Um, um, is it hard? Is it interesting <laughs> to see Carlos Correa go to the Twins on a you know one o five one o three year deal over three or whatever with an opt out, um, which seems firmly within the ballpark of what the Yankees could do? Absolutely. Um, does the you know I guess we'll call it the Donaldson trade. Does that change the roster probably for the better? Also, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is this is where I do feel bad for, you know, for Donaldson and for Isaiah Kiner Falefa and you know, to a lesser extent Ben Wartbet, who hopefully doesn't take the heat <laughs> that, that those guys do for simply not being Carlos Correa. But, you know, I the Gary Sanchez situation, it needed to be resolved. Um, he wanted he Everybody agreed he needed a fresh start. Um, he he was you know having a lot of variants in New York and whatnot, and so so for now they have two good um, good defensive catchers, and then they can figure it out from there. They needed a shortstop. Mm. Um, Isaiah Kiner Falefa is a good defensive shortstop. This is this is a thing that we saw so much last year was you know shoddy infield defense. Um, 
Kiner Falefa, you know, you can kind of see him. You hope that he'll be like a Gio Urshela, Luke Voigt type, honestly, where, you know, past performance um, has has not indicated that he'll be a, you know, 104, 140 OPS plus player. But, you know, you, you get some good defense out there. He's a good worker. He's got a good makeup for this market. And maybe you find some success. And then with Donaldson, you know, you get a very good defensive third baseman and you get good bat to ball skills. And then the same with, same with Rizzo. You get a left-handed. Yeah high contact guy with good defense. And so, so many of the things that the Yankees got criticized for last year, you know, not having left-handers, um, having poor, you know, having too much swing and miss, um, having, you know, poor infield defense. This, this trade and the Rizzo acquisition did actually upgrade those things, but we haven't had games to see those things yet. Now, is it hard to give up on Gary? Certainly. Is it, you know, is it confusing to move on from Gio Urshela, who became a fan favorite? Sure, but I'm not sure sort of what his uh, projected production would have looked like this year anyway. So I think I think if I could offer Yankees fans uh, one piece of advice, it would be don't take out your frustration on, you know, on the players that they acquired because they still do change the makeup of the team and address some of the issues that everyone was complaining about last year. But I also understand that they are not the top of market guys that everyone saw as pretty natural fits for what the Yankees also needed to do. Right. Um, a lot of good points there. And, and, and I want to piggyback on that real quick, because I, I, this mm-hmm. is a question you probably get asked a lot and, and specifically this year right now. Are, are the Yankees like still a destination for those players? I mean, it feels like Freddie Freeman said no. It feels like Carlos Correa had an opportunity to come here. I'm not Trevor. I'm not sure Trevor Story had the opportunity. Are, are they just simply being priced out of what the Yankees are, are willing to offer right now? Is it just that Brian Cashman doesn't see this as the right window to strike big because there are you know the shortstop prospects and things like that kind of coming around the corner? Um, it just it's just an odd. It's odd that this was such a strong free agent class in a lot of regards, right? Starting pitching, certainly the shortstops and a couple of uh, corner outfielders as well, and the Yankees missed on everything. So. It, it, I, I, that that one's tough for me because I can I can understand value signings and, and I appreciate everything you just said and I'm going to piggyback off that uh, mm-hmm. after this but just what's your sense for why the big fish didn't either choose to come here or the Yankees didn't choose to go after them? You know i i don't I don't think we can say the Yankees are not you know a, a destination for these guys anymore. the The market comes with one really big perk, which is that the organization basically always has to try. Um, you come to New York and you know that they're not going to do an Orioles style uh, teardown. And mm-hmm. that's something where, you know, seeing seeing them sign Garrett Cole and hearing his reasoning for all of that has really informed me. You you get a certain level of security here. And also, you know, part of part of the reason the Correa thing was so shocking or even the Chris Bryant to the Rockies thing is you know, those, those are not traditionally baseball's <laughs> destinations. Um, you know, the, the twins organization, don't get me wrong, seems, seems great, but like they don't, they have not historically had the advantage that the Yankees have, and they were still able to land, you know, this player or the Rockies were able to land Chris Bryant. So I, I think it's more a bit about a holistic approach where, and this is sort of what I wrote the other day that every move the make the Yankees make, you can see the logic, you can see the process, you can see the benefit to it. Um, 
Josh Donaldson probably is a good, you know, assuming he stays healthy, probably is a very good addition for them. Um, but when you, but the bird's eye view just sort of lacked that urgency. So I'm, I'm not sure. They've, they've become a very, they've clearly become very focused on being a smart team. You know, we saw this with Patrick Corbin. They, they didn't want to take the contract for six years. They only wanted five. Um, the results of that, you know, it's, it, it, it did not look great for Washington last year, but at the end of the day, you know, yeah. the Yankees are the team that historically could just say, screw it. We'll just go to six years, but they are focused on making the smart decision, looking at their models, looking at their you know process and saying, no, Patrick Corbin is a five-year deal. And if someone else wants to give him six, then, then that is the case. Um, so it's, it's, <laughs> it, it's a really big challenge for me as a writer, because I understand why everyone wants to, you know, everyone looks at the Yankees and is like, who cares? Just give him the sixth year. <laughs> Just give him the sixth year. You are the New York Yankees. But then I also understand why the front office is like, this is a five-year contract. This is a five-year contract. Um, and so I think what it comes down to is not necessarily that they're that they're not a destination or that they're not making an effort because they're clearly making an effort. It's just so much more pragmatic than it used to be. And I think that's what makes it seem like it's lacking in that, you know, who gives a crap or the Yankees urgency that everyone's really used to seeing historically. To that, I promised I was going to piggyback off your positives. And I, and I, I have to agree with you. There's a couple of metrics that I utilize it during the offseason to kind of project where things are going and, and kind of assess the team building process. Um, the Yankees are projected by Pakota, by baseball perspective, to be the second highest run scoring team, as you might imagine. I mean, they're top six in this lineup now with Donaldson included. They're, I mean, they're going to mash when they're healthy mm-hmm. and when they're right. So second in, in, in run scored and by far first in runs against. By far. This is projected to be maybe the best defensive team in baseball, which, you know, you laid out how it went last year and how they were some really <laughs> strong. I mean, they were laughable. I think your Twitter yeah, account was yeah. just blowing this team up defensively for, for a good two week stretch there. Um, they have, it seems they have addressed that. And by the way, you know, kind of flee his versatility. Mm-hmm. He can move to third when Donaldson gets hurt. And I'm going to say when Donaldson gets hurt, because that's just mm-hmm. a, a norm now he can also catch. So mm-hmm. there, there's, there's that side of the Gary Sanchez story. So, I don't, I don't want to sit here and say that I'm, I'm crushing this team, but the way I look at it is, um, you're right. They're not a rip off the bandaid. They're not a tank. They're not a rebuild process. They're, I don't know that we'll ever see that with the New York Yankees, but the Blue Jays have done so much around them mm-hmm. to not only develop the youth, but also now to start slapping on the obvious veteran choices. And, and that's, mm-hmm. th- that's that bird's eye view you're talking about. The Yankees aren't making the obvious moves here. And, and to me, that's what's struggling is, there's some real players, especially this offseason in free agency, that they simply just didn't go after. Um, and I, I think that might get them. I really think that might come back to get them because they're relying so much on the power, which, you know, that has been the MO of this roster for, for two, three years. So um, is that how you're seeing this? I mean, you've got a lot more games to watch here in spring and certainly mm-hmm. to start the season. But do you think that defensively speaking, that change is going to be what impacts this roster the most? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're... I think they're making changes. They just might not be the flashiest. Right. Sexiest, they're making the boring then, changes, right? <laughs> but, you know, I, I think also in the context of the Blue Jays, um, the Blue Jays had a larger gap to close to get to 
you know, a place where they could be competing for the what first, second spot in the AL East. Like mm-hmm. the Yankees, the Yankees are pretty close up to the uh, Yankees fans are going to slam me for this, but you know, they're, they're, they're already a very good team. They are improving on a very good team um, that yes, had a, had a, an ugly inconsistent year last year, but you know, we, we knew what the blue Jays needed. They needed their really good hitters to, to gain experience. Yeah. And we've seen that. And that's great. Um, but we also knew the blue Jays needed pitching. Um, bless their hearts, the Blue Jays needed pitching. So, of course, the Blue Jays went out and got pitching. Um, the Yankees, we knew they needed a shortstop. They needed a first baseman, et cetera, et cetera. But it's it's just a little bit different in terms of scale of roster building, I think, to get to maybe the same yeah. threshold for the Yankees and the Blue Jays. I think, I, I think it is very difficult to assess you know, whether the Yankees have done enough or whatever, because one, they're, they're not, they're not alone in their division. You know, they're not like, you know, a couple of years ago in the AL central where yeah. really the Yankees would have just been competing against themselves. They are competing against three other teams, hardcore. So the, the context there is, is important. Um, but I, I think when you're looking at other teams making big additions as well, you know, or something like someone like the twins, like the, the twins kind of like tore it down last year. Oh, yeah. They weren't supposed to be contenders. I don't even know if they're still going to be contenders with Correa this year or whatever. Um, these, these splashy ads having in some cases been um, upgrading teams that, that, that really need to to fill those holes. So it's, I think there's a lot of nuance on it i think the blue jays are going to be very scary <laughs> um yeah. i think it's i think the you know from a from a neutral observer i think the blue jays are going to be fun and they're but they're going to be a huge pain in the ass for for the yankees and i think something that's actually a little bit funny to me is like the yankees and red sox are kind of in the same position here which is that you know they're supposed to be the top dog powerhouses of this division and the rays dismantle them like surgeons and then the blue jays are going <laughs> to clobber them to death and it's like, what do the Yankees, what do the freaking New York Yankees and Boston Red Sox need to do to dominate the AL East this year? Um, and that path is just like a little bit less clear than it would have been in previous years. It's a really good point that those te- two teams sort of uh, annoyingly will not go away. And, 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 bo- and you know, the, the answer could be this, and I think you've kind of said it in a lot of words, is let the Blue Jays win the offseason, right? I mean, <laughs> let, them, let them make the headlines, let them do what they have to do. Um, and the Yankees are, are just going to kind of slowly methodically, again, they were a good team that got a little bit better, maybe not a lot better because of the flashy players that could have added. But I think you're right. If they were an 85 win team last year, maybe they're a 91 win team this year, which is plenty enough to get themselves mm-hmm. into September, October with some kind of prowess. Last one, because you know, this is how I kind of live my day here. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the multi-year outlook for the, for this Yankees roster. If you remember the last time we did this last year, it was mm-hmm. like, Everybody in the world was lined up for free agency on this roster. It was, you know, extremely a, a huge question mark. It, it's not much better right now. You know, mm-hmm. when you, if I tell you that Garrett Cole and John Carlos Stanton and to some, and, and LeMahieu and Aaron Hicks are basically your only multi-year players right now with Rizzo on an option and Donaldson, who knows, and, and Severino on an option, 
And then everybody else is either in, in late ARB years or straight up UFAs, free agency, including your closer, Aaron Judge, Joey Gallo, your setup guy in Britain, um, and, and quite a few more. Is that a part of this at all? That, that they may have to literally turn over a new leaf almost entirely on this roster if, as early as next year, but certainly by 2024? You know, I, I don't necessarily think that would be a bad thing for them. Um, obviously, it's a very top-heavy payroll, and they have commitments. But, like, you know, even even this offseason, to, to make upgrades, they had to, you know, make choices that were difficult for fans. Like, I understand why fans didn't want to see Gio or Shella leave, but, like, um, <laughs> you're, you're you, you, you got to have some push and some pull. And the Yankees, I think, because they have had a very, you know, like club controlled core and whatnot, um, they haven't been able to do sort of like an not not like a, a teardown rebuild, but like a, a real overhaul. They have been, you know, sort of piecemeal trying to upgrade and adjust the roster over the last few years, which I think is part of how we got to this point where it looks kind of strange and patchworky when you when you look at it from afar. So I was thinking that last night, you know, like who was the Yankees left fielder next year? What if, what if there is a, a Freddie Freeman situation with the Braves? Like who is the Yankees right fielder? Yeah, um, yeah. Things like that. Um, I, I also think it's interesting that this, that like you said, this, this potential for real roster turnover is coinciding with Brian Cashman's last year on his contract. Oh, um, so sort of what do you do? With that, it it is. I do think you're right. I think that's been sort of overlooked that um, the the tenor of off season next year is going to be different from what they had this year, and it's you have to take a different approach to roster building. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, they have they have resolved the Gary Sanchez issue. That's they right. have to make a they have to make a choice on Judge. Um, they have all of these things coming up this year that, you know, even Jamison Tyone, I think is a free agent after this year. Yeah. So um, if people do not feel that this year's roster looks different enough from last season, um, let's, let's see what this conversation looks like this time next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mentioned, you know, I, I'm going to keep this positive because like I said, all the advanced stuff and all the, all the smarter projections that I can push out there are saying they've done the right thing. I mean, at best, they're the same team they were last year. This was a 92-win team last year, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a murderer's row division. You know, I don't think the Rays are a 100-win team anymore, but the Blue Jays might be now, you know? So mm -hmm. that, that might just be a flip-flop in those two teams. And then Boston and the Yankees, you're right, are kind of just sitting there looking around saying, we just have to do enough to get to October. Well, defensively speaking, I think that's the answer. So mm -hmm. I, I, I think you're right. I think it's, I think boring might be the way forward for this roster. And then next year, when there's, just, you know, the free agents are staring them in the face, one of which could be Aaron Judge, if the next two weeks don't go in his favor, then we're going to see the, the, the Yankees bold, right? That can't, you, can't you kind of foreshadow that? That if this, mm -hmm. this is still a 90-win team, but they've got seven major contracts to deal with, mm -hmm. that it really could be a fun offseason next year. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think a lot of this is getting unfairly reduced to, like, are the Yankees still a good team a great team right yes this is this is a very very good team um, <laughs> this is a good team in the context of 
the Yankees in the context of their division and in the context of the sport. Um, you know, like, like we said, some of the teams that are making flashy upgrades still are probably not as good on paper as the New York Yankees. Um, on the other hand, it, I think it comes down to like, how do you want the Yankees to be good? Do you want them to be good right. in a way that is, you know, about as solid as it gets, you know, Correa, you know, for the, for the baggage and the money that comes with that is a pretty dang solid bet at shortstop versus Josh Donaldson, who is a former MVP, who is very good um, in his, in the back half of his thirties, I will say is more of a, if this goes right thing and so it's not whether or not the Yankees are good or great or if they're spending enough money because they are all of those things the question is if they if if the New York Yankees should be and well if everything goes right <laughs> team or if they should be the we are you know battening down the hatches to make sure that we have you know about as foolproof of a roster as you can get and yes it is more of a if everything goes right team um but it's still a good team um, and, I, and I think what's very fascinating about this team is that they're sort of um, throwing a lot of, I guess, logistical curveballs at their fan base and asking them to hold a lot of different concepts in their head at one time um, <laughs> where it's. Right. It's not the Dodgers they're, they're, who are saying Mookie Betts yeah. and Freddie Freeman and, and big, yep. these big gigantic names, Max mm -hmm. Scherzer and Trey yeah. Turner. Right. There's there's no uh, there's no room for question with that. It's we know what that is. Yeah. There's expectations. I I really like what you just said, and I think that should be your next headline. By the way, I think that's <laughs> exactly right. I think it is. They're leaving us thinking, well, if this goes right and that goes right, then this will be a great team. But they're a good team right now, even if things you know don't work out perfectly. Right. Mm -hmm. That's all we yeah. need to know. That's all we need to know. It's going to be a hell of a division. <laughs> Have a lot of fun with it this year. Thanks so much, Lindsay. Thank you. All right, my thanks to Lindsay Adler. You can find her at Lindsay Adler on Twitter. You can find her at The Athletic. The pieces have been outstanding. That's why I brought her back. Her last two or three pieces have literally been just speaking the same language that I've been saying about the Yankees here, which is, it's kind of boring, but I think it might work. You know, And if they hit enough home runs, I think they're going to stop, uh, stop enough runs from scoring this year to actually make some impact in that division. So I agree with her. I think she, had a, she did a really good job of articulating you know, what is, what could be conceived as a negative, which should be a boring positive for a long marathon season in New York. My thanks to The Athletic as a whole, not just Lindsay. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track and get 40% off your ability to read Lindsay's work all season long. That's theathletic.com slash spot track. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast. 